Welcome to Cinema Duel, a podcast where myself, John, and my friend Chris talk around a couple of movies on a theme of our choosing. Chris, how are you doing today? Now that I got the ice cube out of my mouth, I'm doing just fine, John. That, how are uh, you doing? <laughs> you know, it's funny because, you know, we could do like timing and I could have looked to see you doing that and given you a few more seconds, but I was just trying to remember how to do the dang intro that I completely wasn't paying attention. So my apologies for that. <laughs> We're good. We're still good. Let's just keep plowing ahead. Keep Absolutely. It in. Keep it in. No. Uh, well, we do a lot of editing, but we won't edit that out. We'll just uh, we'll just keep moving. Um you and I have both had uh, interesting, uh, and by interesting, I mean sort of uh, chaotically terrifying uh, personal lives of late. Uh, but hopefully the pre-show chat of uh, Dune, uh, all kinds of Dune talk, will hopefully get us ready to record a, a, a regular episode with uh, minimal amounts of uh, being frazzled, obviously off to a great start. Um, and if you are, uh, and if our plan to schedule uh works out the way we would you will have already heard us talking about uh dune in a bonus episode that will be recorded after this but you will have heard it before this i think is that is that is that how it works time is an illusion lunchtime doubly so i believe douglas adams said that so either way it'll work out so i yeah i think you will have heard a dune episode by the time you hear this which will have been recorded in a couple days from now i don't know Let's hope so. It is the month of October, and in the month of October, we watch spooky movies. This is the way that it will continue to be as long as we have this podcast, mostly because Chris does something called Hooptober. Chris, why don't you tell us all about Hooptober this year? Yeah, I think this is our second year doing this. So um, I've been involved in the Hooptober Marathon, hosted on Letterboxd by El Monster for eight years now. This is my eighth year doing it. Um, but our second year on the podcast. So basically what happens is from September 15th to October 31st, um, a set of rules go up uh, for a movie watching marathon. And essentially you have to watch at least 31 films and review them all, but you have to adhere to certain criteria and rules. So things like you have to pick films that represent at least in this instance, six different countries, eight different decades, two movies from the year of your birth, um, uh, four movies from 1981, which is one of the pivotal months, uh, and, and, uh, one of the, blah, one of the pivotal years of horror, um, 1981, uh, a spooky movie that takes place in the woods, three Asian horror films, two hammer horror films. Uh, there's, the list goes on and on, but every year I participate in this and my brain gets a little frazzled. So if I'm frazzled tonight, that is why. So what we did last year was I showed John my pool of movies that I was going to be hitting and said, John, pick two. And that's what we talked about. And unfortunately, that stuck you, the uh, Cinema Duel audience, with uh, The Witch Who Came From the Sea. So we apologize for that one. This year, I think it's going to be a little bit different. We picked two films that are a little bit better um, from my list of 34, which I'm doing this year. Uh, so that's the setup. As John said, as long as we're doing Cinema Duel, and uh, as uh, I will probably still be doing Hooptober, so every October expect some spooky movies. You can also see for the first time this year, all of the reviews are on Cinema Duel, the website. Why we didn't do it last year, I have no idea. But this year, we've got them all on the website. So if you want to check out what I've been watching and what I've been um, reviewing, you can go to the website. But in the meantime, John... Uh, you were really tickled by our first film. So why don't you kick off the first one that you chose uh, from the list and let's get right into it. 
Absolutely. Much has been said of the strumpets of yore, of wenches and bawdy house queens by the score, but I sing of a baggage that we all adore, the landlord's daughter. So the first movie of today's episode is 1973's The Wicker Man, uh, directed by Robin Hardy and starring, well, I mean, there's a bunch of names here. The, the main one you need to know is Christopher Lee, of course. Um, I picked this, so I picked both movies, but my- well, hold on for a second. I'll interrupt you right now to say, I, I mean, Christopher Lee is probably, you know, one of the biggest names in here, but this stars Edward Woodward. Uh, for those of us um, who are old and live in America, the star of The Equalizer, one of the big hit TV shows of the 80s. Well, since I am neither, I'll have to apologize. <laughs> and uh, I, my, you, my apologies to Edward Woodward. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, so my, my the reason I wanted to pick this is most is again just trying to get a sense of looking through your list, seeing what's things I thought were interesting, and I have vague memories, although I've never actually seen it, of the uh, the Nicolas Cage remake and people talking about how it's you know apparently one of his most infamously bad movies. Although again, with all the love and respect to Nicolas Cage, um, there's a probably a wider list uh, that you could argue for that position, but um, the, but. <clears throat> The Wicker Man being terrible, uh, memorably awful, is is my impression of it. So I thought, well, you know, let's let's see what the original's about. Um, and it's it's interesting because I think that this movie, like this, I mean, this movie came out in 1973, obviously, and there it feels like there's I, the 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 thing that fascinates me the most about this movie is how it reads to me watching it now in 2021, um, and I think that. Uh, the I, w- I would suspect that there's a lot of different potential interpretations of it and which to me is just like it's just really cool that something so weird and bizarre um it it, it i'm sure that other people will have ways of approaching and deciding how they how they feel but i read it and was like oh wow i i this movie was made before i was born but i immediately have a way to understand <laughs> it um in in ways that like that is not movies don't often just immediately jump out to me as like, ah, I get this. Um, so that, that was, I mean, just spoiler alert. That's kind of where I'm coming at. Um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. What about, what about you? Have you, is this, is this, an, is, is this a new one for you or? It is a new one for me. So that, that's something that I usually um, say outright whenever I do a, a Hooptober, I tend to pick films I've never seen before. And this has been one of my blind spots. Um, I picked it because to your point, uh, this came out before you born, before you were born. This came out the year I was born. So this was one of my two for horror movies that came out the year that I was born. Um, I was familiar with it. Everyone, I think, is familiar with the imagery of that like um, huge wooden kind of effigy person from the posters. Um, and I am familiar. I have seen the Nicolas Cage version, uh, which to your point, yeah, it's a crazy film. It's by no means his worst film. Um, and it does have some redeeming features, including, um, again, for those of you who haven't seen it, uh, Nicolas Cage dressed up in a bear costume, punching a woman in the face. It's such a weird image. It's not something that you think you need in your life, but once you see it, uh, you'll never be able to unsee it. And I say that in the best possible way. Um, there are memes from that movie. Um, but for me, the reason that I really wanted to check this one out was because um, a, a couple things, and we'll talk about this more in the recommendations section, but Christopher Lee considered this one of his greatest roles. 
Um, so I was immediately drawn to the film for that re- reason. And this is kind of by and large known as one of the greatest British horror films ever made. Um, and when we start to talk about what it's about and kind of some of the tones and, and, and themes of, of the film, I'm really interested in your take, John, because um, I, I, I definitely like you. Um, I didn't know what to expect coming in. And when I left, I came away with a, oh, wow, I get it. I get what's happening here. And I really like what I've seen. Um, so that was really what drew me to it. But I mean, let's start with you because you picked both the, the films and you seem like you really responded positively to this. So uh, we should really quickly, why don't you quickly summarize what this movie is about and then tell me why you're so uh, drawn to uh, getting it at the end of the film the um oh yeah so let's 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 talk plot for a sec um a, a policeman uh, an english policeman played as is mentioned before by edward woodward uh is uh receives an uh receives a letter uh from this uh i think it's scottish right yeah why not yeah let's say scottish apologies if it's wrong uh to scotland uh but uh he gets a an, he gets a letter saying uh from someone on an, on an island that says hey my daughter's uh gone missing uh and includes a picture and says hey can you uh please help me try and find my daughter so he fly he grabs a uh, a small plane flies out to this island somewhere presumably scotland uh and he um when he lands uh he starts asking the the townsfolk around like, Hey, have you seen this person? And they don't know. They all claim to not know who he's talking about. Um, and he, they're completely like there, there's no hint of like that they are in on any sort of joke. It's just sort of like, it all just like, Oh, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. And then, um, <clears throat> As he starts to um, dig further into it, he he starts to find and catch people in inconsistencies in the um, in the stories that they're telling. Um, like he's able to find the person who wrote the letter, um, even though they said they didn't know who it was. And then, but then that person says, "Oh, well, that's not my daughter. This is my daughter." Um, and then he go eventually he ends up at a schoolhouse where they. Uh, where he finds a record of this girl, even though everyone says that they don't know him. But at no point in the story does anyone really break and sort of admit to uh, knowing what it is that he's talking about. And only they only really give him the stuff that he's conclusively proven, which is like, oh, yeah, when he finds existence that she's uh, that she was a person, a real person. They're like, oh, yeah, but she's died. And then they're like, well, her grave is empty. Well, I don't know about that. Like, it's it's it, the the whole community completely is brickwalling him at every moment. And at the same time, he's commenting on their, and, and I don't mean this pejoratively, it's literally he's their pagan uh, ways of organizing and beliefs, uh, which don't conform with uh, the, you know, good and proper Christian ways of living. And he's just basically, um, you know, shit talking them the entire movie. Um, and it, it gets to a point where he's like, well, clearly there's a conspiracy here. There's something going on. Uh, you know, there's, he starts talking about child sacrifices and he, it builds to this sort of, uh, crescendo at the end of the movie where he's like, I'm going to stop the child sacrifice from happening. Cause there's going to be this festival and he's convinced that this festival will include child sacrifice and 
the community, which is led by Christopher Lee, he he goes to say, I'm going to stop you from doing that. And the the big reveal at the end of the story is that this whole thing was a setup that there was the child is perfectly alive undangered and the whole thing was just to lure him in so that they could sacrifice him uh to their uh for their gods and not a child and the movie ends with him inside the wicker man statue uh being burned alive how is that is that is that a concise enough or is that too uh too wordy uh, it, it it is pretty concise and pretty thorough. <laughs> it is very much what happens in the movie. So, um, uh, directed by uh, Robin Hardy, written by An- Anthony Schaefer, based off of another novel. Um, yeah, so that's the plot. I mean, it is literally kind of a um, a uh, f- fussy, devout Christian cop goes to this pagan land. And, uh, is embroiled in this weird kind of, uh, ritual that eventually turns out to be all about him being sacrificed. So it's a, it, it's, it, it sounds a little com- convoluted. It's a fairly simple plot. So I'm interested, John, you came away from this just kind of like, Oh, this is, I get what's happening here. Um, what, what drew you to the movie and, and what did you come away with at the end of it? So, I mean, and again, I, I won't claim to be an expert, but in the last handful of years, as we've been, you know, learning about, uh, as we've been sort of trying to self-reflect and understand on things like white supremacy and Eurocentric, what have you, and, and, and Christianity and how all of these things exist or take positions in the world that are, uh, let's say, bad, uh, or at the very least, uh, complicated, Um that was sort of the lens that I was bringing to watching this movie um, in the sense of this, uh, in in the, like, see how this reads for you. In the guise of trying to protect children, because um, that's always, you know, we ha- someone has to protect the children. Uh, so in the guise of protecting children, this, uh, this British guy goes out to the boonies where he then proceeds to tell them that they're all pervert degenerates and they're all going to hell. Um, and, uh, and that he's convinced that there's a secret cabal of, uh, child sacrifice going on a pizza gate, if you will. Um, and he's just so convinced that like these terrible things are going on and I'm going to save them. I'm going to save the, uh, I'm going to save the children. And, at the end of the movie realizing that there was like, I mean, (laughs) it's not that the movie has a nice tidy ending because of course Pizzagate isn't real. Um, but, uh, but the whole, the, the reveal is that there was never any child sacrifice that you're coming in with your assumptions and your opinions and you're awful. Um, and then the reveal is that this was all about killing, you know, suckering the cop to come in and, and sacrificing him instead, which, you know, it's not a perfect metaphor. Um, but the, (laughs) (laughs) but because he, because he spends the whole, like the first half of the movie plays like a, like a comedy basically where all these townspeople are like, you ain't shit, you ain't shit. And the cop is just gets increasingly mad about how they're not conforming to his, uh, his belief system and his assumption that they're off must be up to something nefarious uh only for his assumptions to only for the assumptions to be completely pulled out under the rug from him at the very end uh i just i I was like wow this is an interesting movie to watch in the year of our lord 2021 
Yeah, I I think I came away a lot with the same thing. I mean, th- th- you can very much read this as a kind of a biting indictment of um, any number of things, whether it's um, white supremacy, um, colonialism, uh, j- just the imprint of what is rigid, right, and proper on a smaller minority kind of outright group, right? Um all of that I, I think is very knowing in this film. The thing that I find really interesting about it is tonally to your point, you watch like the first half to two thirds of this movie. It is not a horror movie. It's a kind of a fish out of water comedy because Ed, Ed, Edward Woodward as um, Neil Howie is the name of the, the character he plays. He is so kind of stiff upper lip repressed good christian he's a virgin there's a whole scene here there's a there's an entire musical number in this film that's essentially this naked woman writhing on the walls singing this song and woodward um neil howie is in the next room hearing her writhe against the the walls and he's basically sweating all of the temptation and lust out of his body because he's so kind of turned on by this but also so ridden by christian guilt that he feels the temptation and the lust that's how this movie plays tonally and and it it starts to only as his christian fervor and his kind of in dignant like repulsion at how these people live as that amplifies and he starts to become more holier than thou to these people. Um, that's when the movie starts to get a little bit creepy. You had mentioned the part where he goes to the grave of the girl. Um, the girl's name is, I believe, Rowan Morrison. And he goes to the grave and the grave is empty. But tied to the grave are these like weird, like little tendril things. And there's a guy there in the graveyard and how he's like, what are those things? He's like, oh, that's the umbilical cord that we tied to the graves. And it's such a, like an ominous, weird, like little visual image that they tie the child's umbilical cord to the grave when they die, that those little things start to add up and add up and add up until we get to kind of the fervor pitch of the end where he's completely, you know, out of his mind with they're going to sacrifice this young woman. This is the conspiracy all along. I am going to be the heroic, you know, white male Christian savior. And it turns out, no, you stupid fool. This was, you know, all this time, this was not about that. It was about you. And you are the fool. You are the virgin. You are the perfect, you know, um, you are the perfect, perfect sacrifice to be made to the wicker man to help the crops grow. Um, and the thing that I really liked about it is it is all of those things, but in a horror film, generally, you're siding with the cop and the whole time as how he gets more and more crazy, you're more and more to just you, the film puts you at a distance from him where at least for me, and I'm interested if this happened to you as well to, to, to some degree, by the end of the movie, I'm kind of on Christopher Lee and the Islanders side of like, you know, you came in here to impose your rule and your authority when it wasn't welcome. Um, yeah, we did this. You fell for it. It may not work, but we're going to do it anyway, because this is how we live. And who are you to tell us to live otherwise? I kind of at the end, look, I didn't want him to die. And it's a, it's a fairly insane ending. Yes. Um, but I was kind of, I was kind of with the rest of the island at that point, which I found when the movie ended, I was like, Oh shit. You know, the whole time 
And it'd be really interesting to understand how this worked in 1973, because I've got to imagine that they want the they want their sympathies to lie with Edward Woodward and to lie with, you know, the majority kind of persona that that he represents. But to your point, it's 2021 and we're much more attuned to people imposing kind of an authoritarian view on how to live, how to be, how your body should be, how this should be. That it's interesting to watch this now and see that my my um, affinity maybe at the by the time the movie ends lies with the opposing side at this point. I don't know what that says about me, but I know that it says that I can understand why this film is as highly regarded as it is. Yeah, like it, uh, <clears throat> and and I think one of the <laughs> there's uh, <laughs> one thing we haven't talked really about too much yet, and I kind of want to dig into a little bit is is Christopher Lee because you said that this was one of his uh, favorite roles, and yeah. I think that. He the way that he plays, um, like he is, he is essentially a cult leader. Um, uh, the way I see it, because he, hundred like, percent, because he he know like for him he's in tr- like I mean well, a he's in charge, but also b like he has a a wider like he doesn't necessarily hold to the belief set that everyone has he's sort of giving them the permission to do so but like he sort of holds all the access and all the keys uh to everything he is much more like cynical and modern in the way that uh like him and uh and the cop are able to like have conversations in the ways that uh other people aren't and one of the things i think is interesting for as jovial and um and like, and as charming and uh, as you would expect a character like that to be, there's in the, in the end when he is, because uh, of course the whole reason why he gets sacrificed is because of the belief that uh, it'll restore their crops, which not a belief I hold to. Um, is not something that I would think would be correct or that I would uh, th- I, like scientifically. I don't think that's how that works. <laughs> to be um, clear, I am fully on board with you in that regard. There's yeah. no way this is ever going to work. <laughs> I'm pretty, and, 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 and one of the, and then again, just from it being like simplistic or whatever, as they're dragging him into the statue to be burned, he, he, he basically yells out like, you know, that Christopher Lee is, is, is pulling a con on you, right? Like the second that um, th- this won't work, like fine you kill me your crops won't come back and you're going the next person to die is going to be christopher lee and he's like nope absolutely not it's going to be fine let's keep going and the, <laughs> the, the 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 that one brief like it's not like again the the larger swell of and momentum of the movie at that point is the is the big conclusion which is you know the sacrifice and the singing and the happy vibes as this man is being burned alive which is just absolutely bonkers again but that one moment in the midst of it where he actually does make a salient point of like these people are coming for you next and because this is not going to work because that's not how this works and uh christopher lee like no 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 don't listen to him we're fine it's gonna be fine it's, it's gonna be fine it's gonna be fine uh, <laughs> th- that to me f- is 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 a, is a great moment but also sort of like <clears throat> again prevents it from being like too didactic i guess yeah no a hundred percent i completely forgot that because one of the things that i i think about at the end of the movie is a lot of people will talk about to go back to the beginning um talk about the remake and the Nicolas cage version and how weird that is i don't think people give enough credit to how weird this movie is and how like out there 
and Edward Woodward is as Neil Howie. I mean, he becomes like, he becomes insane at the end. And as they're all singing and he's burning in the um, wicker man, he's screaming the Lord's prayer and, and he's going just as bug nuts insane because of what's happening to him. It is at the end, a completely insane in situation. And the only way to deal with it is to also be insane. And I, I think it's so the, it's the thing I love the most about this movie is how its tone moves, just this steady descent. And you don't really realize it until you get there at the end of like, oh, oh, we're, we're much, uh, we're in a much more worse place than I thought we were going to be at. Um, and I think that's delightful. Uh, and I love how Christopher Lee is such a dick at this movie, but he is so self-assured and it's so wonderful after seeing so many dour villainous performances, whether you've seen him in, I think he did like six or seven performances as Dracula, or if you're newer to Christopher Lee, you know, his fantastic, but again, very dour role as uh, Sauron in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. It's so great to see this kind of like hippie, trippy, kind of afroed out Christopher Lee, who is completely in control. He's a cult leader, but he's a cult leader who I, I could immediately see why he's being followed. The dude is charismatic. He's carefree. And it's not a Christopher Lee performance that I'm used to seeing. Uh, and, and he, he's wonderful. <laughs> I see why these people follow him. I see why he's as charismatic as it is. I would love to, in another world, I, I know that they kind of made a sequel to this decades and decades later, but to your point, I would love to see what happens the next season when the crops inevitably fail. I think there's another movie there that's all about how does Christopher Lee shuck his jive his way out of that scenario? Um, and that's not a horror movie, but uh, it's a fascinating scenario that's set up at the end that I think makes this have much more of an inner life than other movies that when the movie's done, the movie's done, right? And you're left like, okay, well, that was an interesting movie. You bring up a great point of like, because of that exchange at the end, there's this life that sits outside of the movie after you see it that is just as interesting as the movie we just watched and uh at the beginning of your sentence i thought you were about to say i would join a cult with christopher lee in it and i was like you know what if he was still with us i would probably consider oh, joining a christopher it, look, lee cult. it was unsaid but totally implied i would totally join a cult if christopher lee was leading it a hundred percent wait especially after this month that i've just had of watching christopher <laughs> lee films <laughs> I thought you were just going to say, I had a terrible month. I just want to listen to Christopher Lee talk, which is, again, 100%. I'll I'll take that, too. But I've seen a lot of Christopher Lee this month. I'm willing to follow him. I have an an Apple Music subscription now. I'll listen to his heavy metal albums, and then uh, we'll we'll figure something out. We'll work something out. We'll work something out. for this year's Hooptober Marathon was to pick a kaiju film. Um, so I picked 2016's Shin Godzilla. This was Toho's re-entry into the Godzilla-verse after being dormant for a lot of years. And coming after, um, I think this came after, um, Legendary's um, American reboot, Godzilla, uh, that was done by Gareth Edwards. Um, so this this can kind of, this is a standalone kind of retelling 
of the Godzilla myth. Um, but in the modern day, so when we think about God, Godzilla, um, one of the biggest things that kind of comes to play, especially with the 1954 original by Shiro Honda, is, you know, that as a parallel and as a commentary on um, the bombing of Japan in World War II and the um, threat of nuclear disaster and, and everything that kind of arose from that, uh, this was the Japanese, you know, one way of the Japanese dealing with the terror of what happened to them, you know, not even 10 years before. Um, so when we come to Shin Godzilla in 2016, really interesting parallel that this comes um, after the 2011 um, Fukushima Dachi nuclear accident. So there was a huge um, tsunami and earthquake off the coast of eastern Japan in 2011, and it caused a uh, meltdown of this new nuclear power plant. So, you know, for a country that is still not even, you know, grandparents were still alive at the time of the World War II um, atomic bomb droppings, to now have to deal with another nuclear disaster. Um how do you process that trauma? Well, if you were Japan and you're Toho and you're known for your huge man in suit creatures, uh, you break out the most famous one again. And the real interesting thing about Shin Godzilla, uh, as a part from, as opposed to being kind of a beat for beat reboot of any earlier in, incarnation of, of the film, this takes a very different view of the arise of Gojira or Godzilla. Um, this takes the focus of the government. And what do you do if you're a government and you're faced with this, you know, impending disaster? Something has erupted off the waters on the coast of Tokyo. Um, what is it? And the movie takes the view from the government's point of view. Maybe it's volcanic activity. Maybe it's active vents on the seafloor. Um, all of a sudden we start to see that it's this huge creature that for some reason is arising from the depths. And it's interesting as it first comes out, you may think that it's a little laughable. And in fact, the first third of Shin Godzilla kind of plays as a very black comedy of the government's ineptitude to deal with large scale problems. And when Godzilla first comes out, it's kind of this pre-evolutionary, you know, bug-eyed beast that can't really walk. It's just a shambling mess with uh, blood and stuff like pouring from gills and it can't stand upright. And it's a disaster and it destroys a bunch of real estate and it does, it destroys a bunch of the infrastructure of um, Tokyo, but you know, it's, it's okay. It disappears and the government's now tasked with cleanup. Um, but then it comes back. And it comes back and it's worse and it's evolved, right? The The problem was ignored. The problem was pushed to the side. Hey, it took care of itself. We're going to leave it alone. And now the problem is back and the problem is bigger. And now the problem can breathe fire and it can shoot lasers from its fins and it can stand upright and it can kill a lot more people. What happens then? Um, and the movie never fails to leave the government's response to that. What does bureaucracy do when faced with this thing? How does it fight amongst itself? How do other people then come in to take advantage? There's a real interesting thread here about the U.S. coming in and the U.S. wanting to help, just like it did in World War II. And then uh, we start to read our kind of um, protagonist is this young um, official who's slowly rising in, in the ranks, Rendo Yaguchi. 
he becomes uh, friends with one of the liaisons from the U.S. delegation. And he starts to find out that the U.S., you know, maybe don't want to kill this thing. Maybe they want to trap it and experiment on it and take samples to use for their own defense later on. So all of these kind of geopolitical um, things start to come into play all in response to this creature. This huge, massive problem that continues to grow and evolve. So how do we stop it? Um, that's a real interesting take for a monster movie and for a Godzilla movie. There's no, you know, bad monster for Godzilla to fight here. Godzilla is basically um, the unstoppable force uh, that we are unprepared to, to, to move against. And even though this is very much a Japanese film, it's a very much a Japanese led film. Uh, the thing that I find fascinating about it is how, again, just like the Wicker Man, tonally this shifts a couple of times. Um, and it comes from being kind of funny and silly to, um, there is a, a massive scene of destruction. And in any other movie, in a ho Hollywood version of this, in fact, they did this in the Hollywood version of Godzilla, when Godzilla first shoots fire and, you know, first becomes atomic. It's amazing. And, you know, it happens for the greater good. And it's because he's attacking people. This is Japan who has had horrible, horrible, nightmarish experiences with atomic power being used against them. So when Godzilla in Shin Godzilla first exhibits his atomic power, it is devastating and it is heartbreaking and it is horrible to behold because it really focuses on the damage that occurs when this type of power is left um, unchecked and, it, and, and, and cannot be kind of countenanced. Um, and it's heartbreaking. And then the movie takes another turn as Japan starts to... Um, resolve itself to combat this and to do it, you know, maybe without the help of the other countries, because they start to see how they're being taken advantage of and how they're being positioned by stronger, less affected countries to be able to gain either politically or militarily from this thing that that's happening. And then the movie becomes almost, I'm hesitant to say the word propaganda, but, you know, it becomes a pride film of a nationalistic kind of pride in your country and your resolve to overcome these horrible nightmare activities. Um, so, you know, it does kind of end in a way that's like, oh, you know, Japan did it. Japan took care of the problem. Um, but the path that it leads to get there is – is one that I find really devastating. And for my money, um, it is just in terms of what it attempts to do. I think it is an entirely more successful film than we've been able to put out, uh, with the legendary films here in America. I, I am enamored of this film, even with its flaws and its obvious kind of man in suit effects at times when it hits, it hits very hard, um, for me. So John, I'm so glad you picked this, uh, but what I'm interested in is, you know, did you have the same thought if you think back to Wicker Man and the tonal shifts there? There are some very obvious tonal shifts here. How did they work for you in this context? And and ultimately, you know, what did you come away with watching this film? Um, <clears throat> yeah, like the, the, the first chunk where it's basically like almost a uh, like in the um in the loop or death of Stalin type of political commentary. Like they're having arguments about, uh, having, uh, 
about like getting authorization to run a press conference while God right. the, while the baby Godzilla is like running up the river and like or running through the road like smashing cars left and right. It's that that kind of juxtaposition um, is 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 just hilarious and and I think like intentionally uh, intentionally so. Um, I really like as and I think adding to that one of my favorite parts of the about the first part of the movie is just the sheer and and part of this is because it's subtitles but uh the the sheer number of titles and, that get thrown at you on the screen you're constantly yeah. being bombarded with a person's rank a person uh, a particular ship type or military thing you're just being bombarded with words on the screen about who this person is and what their role is all the time uh it just uh just to underline just you know how woefully unprepared of course uh the bureaucracy is for it um and actually i i as you were doing your as you were giving the intro to the movie something clicked for me that i hadn't realized before which is i think one of the reasons why the movie is able to draw this movie is able to work with those tonal shifts i actually think that the 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 derpy looking Godzilla at the beginning of the movie that's not nearly as intimidating and is clearly it is uh, very derpy looking let's yeah. be clear <laughs> yeah it is it, it doesn't it, it's clearly causing a problem but like in the way that like you know someone who doesn't know any better there's no like malevolence to it it's just uh I'm a gangly awkward teenager I can't move or a toddler yeah. or whatever uh and I actually think that's probably what helps sells it because at the beginning or as as it grows, it becomes more sort of in control of itself and more. And then when it's finally able to unleash sort of the, you know, the lasers and the atomic breath and stuff, that's that's the moment where it where the the, the tone shifts happens. And I think having it look silly at the beginning actually helps to sell the journey that the movie takes you on, because at first it's like. I mean, we know because we're watching a Godzilla movie that the government should be taking this more seriously because that's what you do in a Godzilla movie is you, you know, you need to take Godzilla super seriously. But, um, but for these, uh, for these folks, while there is obviously disasters happening, it's, you know, you laugh along with it being like, oh, look at that. Look at that silly little guy. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the, the movie does when it does when like when he does sort of show what he's fully capable of it is a move it is a moment to like take stock and yeah you do act it, the movie actually does a really good job of investing you in the like when everyone sort of pulls their pulls together to you know to to try and pull their uh uh f- blood freezing plan uh together to sort of f- uh stop him in place um you do get, I, I got caught up in that, uh, in a way that I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm glad that people are pulling together and cooperating and it's, uh, you know, it, it, you, you are fully invested and it feels really cathartic to watch them pull together to, uh, to stop Godzilla. And like, again, like in Wicker Man, it, it fully earns, I think that ending. Yeah. The, um, I mean, it's something that we should probably talk about. Cause I think one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this is because we've talked about uh, the the director of this movie is uh, Hideaki Anno, and he, of course, is most notably known for uh, directing Neon Genesis Evangelion, uh, a series that you and I have referenced on this show at least a couple times. And while this still yeah. isn't that, because uh, I'm not sure how we'll do a uh, 
I'm not sure how we'll eventually get to do an episode about it proper, but uh, like, what are your thoughts about this movie as it relates to uh, Eva and uh, sure. and Anno as a as a as sort of like like where where does your head go when you're putting those those things together? No, it, it so one I have an idea for how we can do an Evangelion <laughs> episode because now they have those movies. It's true. And we could do the movies. Uh, but th- that was one of the questions I was going to hit to you, but, but, but I'll start off having, um, you are a much bigger fan of the series than I am. I have seen it, but I've seen it because of you, like telling me about it. Um, and I jumped into it knowing that that came from his head and seeing this, the parallels between the two to me are super, super strong. Um, especially when it comes to, Government and bureaucracy and, you know, this is how we're going to use this. This is how we're going to respond to this. Um, the, the, the way that even, um, and I'm trying to be very vague, uh, because we'll do a, um, neon Genesis Evangelion episode eventually, but the, the, the way that they use the Evas, um, and the way that from a government perspective, they make decisions as to how to respond to the, um, the extraterrestrial threats that are coming that they use the, um, Evas for. There are, it, it is very similar to the way that this movie kind of operates. And then from a purely visual aesthetic, it, it's weird to compare a live action film to an anime, but the way that he presents destruction, of cities and scapes and, and, and the way that he kind of dives into that. I, I, I found a huge similarity with how he presents that stuff in Shin Godzilla. It was really interesting. Um, and I'll, it right down to kind of, you know, um, in neon Genesis, in neon Genesis Evangelion, I'm not gonna be able to say that with any clarity when we do just that say episode, Eva, when we do that, uh, you know, you, you have the power players and then you have the mid ranked people and, and then you have like the grunts in the field and, and, and the way that they set up those structures. Um, there's a real interesting parallel to the way that they do that here in the film as well. Um, again, it's not a direct parallel, but if you watch the way that he, focuses on groups and establishments responding to crisis in this film, you can easily see his kind of his, his interests and, and, and that type of thing um, from Eva (laughs) from Evangelion as, as well, at least that, that that's what I saw. And again, I'm coming to that from someone who watched the series. Once I started watching the films, which are just basically for the most part, reencapsulations of the series. Um, I would imagine someone more deeply in tune to the anime probably can draw better parallels than I could, John. So like, are, are there more things that I'm missing or things that you're seeing that really stood out to you? See, you're, you're saying that to me and I'm looking behind me expecting to see the Eva expert behind me that you're clearly talking to. Cause <laughs> Because I also more of it than I have. I, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I watched the series difference. once, and I watched the movie series once. So okay. I, I, I actually so you're a little bit more than I, I am. Yeah, I wouldn't describe myself as 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 the expert. Uh, um, but that being said, uh, yeah, I think the some of the compositions, especially around like when he yeah. does, like especially in that key moment when he does sort of initially lay waste to Tokyo, some of the compositions there definitely remind me of. Uh, of Evangelion and even some of the shots of like uh, the 
of uh, Yaguchi or the uh, his his liaison friend. Sometimes there's just shots of them just like standing. They're just completely alone with the like the city line in the background. Like some of that shit looks real, uh, real anime as hell. Um, and yeah, I think the. I mean, for me, where it comes into most uh, is sort of the interest in government and bureaucracy and like the titles that just get tossed around. Like if I mean, I know that people have spent a good number of years trying to parse out just how the various organizations in even Evangelion work together and like what the things are, because at least on a first read, a lot of that stuff just sort of like it went in one ear and out the other. Like yeah. I, I, I could barely tell you the, your nerves from your Sila's from your, uh, various, say, other- there, there's no nerve equivalent in yeah, no. Shin Godzilla. There's no like shadow conspiracy government that's, you know, pulling strings. It's not like that, but there is a emphasis on bureaucracy. There is an emphasis on structure and how structure responds to threat that I think he is interested in. And he's interested in how that balances against the humanity of other decisions that are being made outside of that bureaucracy, right? When, you know, we are acting on behalf of the social structure and yes, but I am acting on what I think is the human response. And I think a lot of Neon Genesis Evangelion is about that, is about the the structured response of the majority versus the humanistic response. And I think there's a lot of that to be spoken of in, 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 in here, as well as those small, you know, there is very much a na- nationalistic touchstone in Eva as, as well as, as here in, 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 in pride in your place and pride in your, your country and your location as well. So. And, and interestingly, we're probably enough, not the best anime people to talk about. This no, that's, thing. that's true. True. Uh, that, but that being said, like the, the, for the, for as much as the film focuses on the how like the US is potentially looking to set like to take advantage of Japan's situation to their own benefits um and how they're able to sort of do it without sort of that larger intervention um there is a i mean if there's another thing that sort of reminds me of Evangelion is that, like how they're able to convince like how they are able to convince smaller parts uh like the the french delegation um the 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 time frame on japan or on, on tokyo being nuked is delayed because they're able to con- the convince uh the you know the french delegation the french to, to, yeah. to 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 stall uh for them and they repay them in kind at the end um and then there's the scene where they ask for i think it's possibly german lady um <clears throat> representative of the germans to yes. for supercomputers right to yeah, start the, to, yeah yeah to borrow their supercomputers right to work on the project so there is some like international cooperation that is extended their way in a way that feels um somewhat relate like it's somewhat similar to like how uh there's it's not there's not a ton of uh it's mostly it was mostly emphasized on the on Japan, but like there is there are references to like Eva's in other places, and in fact, I think it's Asuka. Uh, apologies if I pronounce that wrong. She ends up coming over from somewhere else Germany, as well, doesn't she? I think it's Germany. Yeah, yeah. Like I there's a there is a uh, um like it's they, they aren't uh, they are able to pull in some assistance in order to do this without uh, the help of. Uh, 
with, with, or without or to 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 try and do this without uh, having to resort to the the internationally accepted plan of just bomb Japan to hell and we'll rebuild and we'll I'll be real nice to you if you just let me bomb your city just 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 this once just one nuclear bomb please for for me um but yeah I think that uh, um yeah the yeah this Shin Godzilla is uh, is 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 a, is a, is, a, is a fun monster movie and I think it really beyond sort of I think it has enough in there like Evangelion so that you could like try and parse out um, meanings and try and do that stuff. But it works on the level of just silly comedy about government bureaucracy uh, sliding all the way into national disaster and how people come together in the wake of that. Um, I think it doesn't need to work on any deeper level than it's just uh, it's real good at sort of making you care about its characters. I agree. Um, I do think it, 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 it works better on a deeper level. I, I, I think there are layers to this that we tend to overlook when we think about Godzilla films, at least with the Japanese ones. Um, the one that I recall the most is, uh, Godzilla versus the smog monster. When I was a kid, that was always the one that was most terrifying. And there's a, a weird kind of subtle, you know, anti pollution message there and stuff like, like that. I think Godzilla films, have always tried to, at least at some point, done something like that. I mean, maybe not in every instance, but there's always been that thread, certainly in the original. I mean, yeah. that that's, you know, you can't deny that. Um, I love that this goes for that and that it has the heart. And, and I think it took someone like um, Hidaki um, Ano, if I'm saying his name correctly, you know, to bring that kind of... Um, insight to a Godzilla film. So I'm really ha- happy you picked it. Um, it is definitely one of my favorite of the Godzilla films. And uh, I don't know that we have anything else to say about it, John. Yeah, I think that's probably going to uh, wrap it up for us today. Why don't we head to our next segment? As with every episode, we always like to do some film recommendations. And uh, Chris, you have, uh, are you completely stuffed to the gills uh, with Halloween and horror type movies? So uh, what uh, what amongst your Hooptober list would you like to uh, recommend for us as well? So John, yeah, I have watched, ladies and gentlemen, I've watched a lot of horror, um, way more than I've actually even reviewed. Uh, but something has really stuck out to me th- this year. So I'm going to, this is not a visual, um, podcast, but I'm just going to show to John the stack of films that I've picked up over the last couple of weeks. Two of these are box sets with at least five to six films. That is, that is an impressive stack you have (laughs) there. It's an impressive stack. Uh, and they are all from, uh, the British film company Hammer. Uh, I have been, uh, just really diving into Hammer Horror, um, this month. And I wanted to talk about two films in particular, um, because they both kind of feature characters that we know and love, um, kind of breaking the mold a little bit. So forget your, Forget your amazing Frankenstein movies and your Dracula movies. Um, there are some great ones, though, from from Hammer, all of which feature two wonderful actors, Christopher Lee, which we've already talked about, and Peter Cushing. Um, depending on your age, Peter Cushing is uh, 
uh, Victor Frankenstein or he's um, Van Helsing. Or if you grew up in the 70s, he is from Star Wars. Or any decade since the 70s, he's from Star Wars. Since the 70s, he's from Star Wars. Grand Moff Tarkin. About, Put some respect on that about, name. Yeah, <laughs> Grand Moff Tarkin. I want to talk about two films. Uh, we'll start with the Christopher Lee, Christopher Lee one first because it's the one I just watched and it's 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 quickly written up my list of one of my favorite horror films and one of my favorite Hammer horror films, and that is The Devil Rides Out, uh, 1968. Um, this is basically kind of like, like The Wicker Man. It's a it's a movie about cults. This is about um, two older gentlemen. Um, Christopher Lee plays Nicholas, the Duke de la Richelieu. Richelieu, I think is how you pronounce it. Uh, he was the protagonist in a number of supernatural novels uh, written by Dennis Wheatley um, in the, I think, 20s, 30s, and 40s. Um, so he, uh, it is about him and his uh, American friend Rex. They are kind of the guardians of this young man, Simon, that they see every year after Simon's parents died. So it is the anniversary and they're going to meet and Simon doesn't show up and they go to Simon's house and Simon has taken in with a new crowd. They are a crowd of Satan worshipers and a deadly cult that are trying to summon um, the goat of Mendes, Baphomet, the, the, the horned one. Um, and it is up to Christopher Lee as, um, the very Christian, but I have dabbled in the black arts Nicholas, um, to save Simon's soul and stop the horned one from coming to, um, um, to oversee the earth. Um, it's basically kind of a satanic panic and a very pro Christian movie, but, it does so many things so well. First of all, beautifully shot by Terrence Fisher. Terrence Fisher is one of those um, workman directors. He directed a lot of the Hammer films. All of the best Hammer films were probably directed by Terrence Fisher. Gorgeously shot. Um, Hammer films are known for how luxurious the color is and the sumptuousness of the sets. Um, and the thing that I took away from this was really just how cool – like. It, how, how do I say this? So one of my enduring loves of television uh, that my wife and I share is the CW show Supernatural. We have watched all 15 seasons. My wife is um, devoted to the show. Um, I love it as well. And it's basically just about two brothers who fight evil, the Winchester brothers. Um, and they know everything about it. They know how to draw, you know, circles to, and they use salt to keep ghosts out and all that. This is kind of that. But instead of, you know, sexy Jensen Ackles is Dean Winchester and his brother Sam, played by Jared Padalecki. Yes, I know all these names because I watch it that often. Um, it's Christopher Lee as Nick. Nicholas, the Duke de Richelieu. And he knows a lot of the same tricks. And one of the standout sequences of this film is um, at, 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 at the climax, they have to draw a circle of protection and stay inside it as they are tempted by the forces of Satan and the forces of evil trying to break into the circle and um, screw with their heads to get them to break the circle and let the evil through. It is a hoot, man. It is so good. And it's such a rare performance. It's Christopher Lee as the hero which you don't see with Christopher Lee that often. I, I, it gets a little preachy. It gets a little too pro. Like, well, the reason you're going to fail is because Jesus Christ is my savior. It gets a little too <laughs> ham fisted there at the end. Um, and you start to think like, well, if you're so into Jesus Christ, Nicholas, like, why do you know, like, why do you know all these like summoning incantations to draw, to summon the angel of death? 
and rewarp time. This has time travel. This has the angel of death come. This has souls being taken. This has potential human sacrifice. This also has potential chicken sacrifice uh, in a really cool early sequence of, of, of the film. It's just fun. It's fun. It looks gorgeous. And Christopher Lee is a freaking hoot. They throw a crucifix at the devil. And the devil explodes. That's, I mean, what more do you need to know about this, this, this movie? <laughs> if you if you can put this on your Plex, I'll watch it this weekend. Like, sir, no it, shit. Is on, like, it, is, it is on my Plex, sir. And it's on my Plex in 1080p HD for you to watch in all its high-definition glory. It's sorry, there. listeners, but I'm watching that movie and you can't unless you find your own copy. <laughs> the devil um, rides out. It is, on, uh, it, it is on Blu-ray. It's very easy to find. It's super cheap. That um, sounds fucking awesome. It's a great Hammer film. Um, likewise, not nearly as great. Um, but still really fun. One of the, the other films that I, I reviewed this month was Captain Clegg, um, or as it was released by Universal in America, Night Creatures. So this stars, um, Peter Cushing and Peter Cushing plays Father Bliss. He is a minister to this small, um, town. Um, in the English countryside. Um, and they're just trying to live their lives. They're happy-go-lucky people, um, but they're under the thumb of br- the British royalty and the British government. And, uh, you know, taxation is terrible and, and stuff like that. So the British Navy comes because they suspect that the town is smuggling liquor across um and when they get there they're told that no there's no liquor here and there's a great sequence because look let's face it of course the town is smuggling liquor and they have all these great kind of tunnels and secret passages and the way that they do it is all explained and it's really cool but what winds up happening is they're there because uh they were ratted out by one of the town members this guy tom ketch and when the british royal navy gets there they say well where's tom ketch we want to talk to him like oh tom ketch is dead uh, he died because he was attacked by the marsh phantoms, the phantoms and spirits of the marsh that surround our village. So we never go out at night and we never do anything wrong because the evil phantoms will come and kill us. Um, so that's kind of what the film is about. Um, and it all hinges on uh, the head of the Royal Navy who's there. He'd always been searching for the evil pirate Captain Clegg. And Captain Clegg was buried at the church yard uh in this village and he was overseen by the merciful father bliss played by peter cushing you can kind of guess the twist and turns that this takes because you don't just have peter cushing be the sympathetic father bliss in this movie he definitely has additional roles and how he's involved but again this is a rare movie where um there's no real horror everything has real world explanations so it's much more of an adventure and, and a thriller than an overt supernatural horror film. But it's again, it's an opportunity for Peter Cushing, who he's been in a lot of horror and he's usually playing the good person in horror. Victor Frankenstein, you can argue, is definitely not a good person, but Van Helsing in the Dracula films um, definitely plays a bad guy in Star Wars. Here he plays a very different character. Father Bliss is a much more complex character. He is a good person um, who may have a history that he's trying to work through. And it's just really fun to watch him, uh, especially to watch him kind of do action scenes. Like you don't think of Peter Cushion doing action, but there are scenes where he kind of does some martial arts and he kind of swings on chandeliers and stuff like that. Um, he's got amazing hair in this movie. He's got really long, thick black hair with gray streaks in it. He just looks awesome and he's a priest. Um, it's, it's, it, it's again, if you're only familiar with 
hammer horror as all the Christopher Lee Draculas and all the Peter Cushing Frankenstein movies. They also did some wonderful Curse of the Werewolf with Oliver Reed as the werewolf. One of the best werewolf movies I've ever seen. They have a version of The Mummy with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing that is also fantastic. But they do more than just the retreads of the Universal Monsters. And both The Devil Rides Out and Captain Clegg, a.k.a. Night Night Creatures, are really worthwhile hammer films that carve new ground um, and are just fun to watch. So those are my recommendations. But really, um, if you have the opportunity, just check out some Hammer Horror, even if it is the Dracula and Frankenstein stuff. It's so rich and it's such a wonderful new take on old things that you may have thought of because you're used to Bela Lugosi and Boris Karloff in their immortal versions of those creatures. Um, check out Hammer. It's much more lurid. It's much more sensual. Um, and it's in color and it's, and it's in a beautiful, robust, rich color. Um, so check it out. Those are my recommendations. I mean, you did say the words Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, and Oliver Reed. Like that's, that <clears throat> you, you just, that's, that's, you sell that on. on oh, John, let me lot. tell you, o- Oliver Reed is also in Captain Clegg, aka Night Creatures. Uh, he, Fantastic. He, so he, he's, he's in that, but, uh, I will make sure that I have on Plex for you, Curse of the Werewolf. It is one of my favorite werewolf movies, and he is the star of that. And he is, he is Oliver Reed to the teeth in that movie. <laughs> Excellent. And uh, once again, sorry, not sorry uh, to our listeners uh, for whom that does not apply. Um, the There's a detail you mentioned in the first movie that I want to, it reminded me of something. I want to just quickly mention it, a detail in Wicker Man that I absolutely adore, which is that, uh, before I get to my recommendations, in the final scene, in the final sacrifice uh, with the titular Wicker Man, um, I noticed that there are chickens in the, uh, that are also sort of put in the, in the sta- in the in those in the wooden statue as well. Yes, um, chickens beca- and goats, right? Or yeah. lambs are also in there. And and Christopher Lee previously had said that like, uh, well, we were doing animal sacrifices, and at a certain point, it stopped working, or the the effectiveness is it's not yeah. enough, right? And so I like they don't telegraph it at all. They don't like really hint at it, but like as they're putting him into this thing, you just see that there are chickens. And I like, I just like the idea of Christopher <laughs> Lee as someone who hedges his bets of like, yeah, we're going to do this sac- animal sacrifice or we're going to do this human sacrifice, but we're definitely not going to stop doing the animal sacrifices <laughs> just in case. Like we're going to sacrifice a lot of things just to make sure that this works the most. Uh, I just really like that detail. Um, I don't blame it. It, it. it makes me kind of want to go back and watch it again now. Just, just to I, see how deliciously evil christopher lee is in the movie yeah um so i uh <laughs> to be honest don't have the, the 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 capacity to do a hooptober marathon like you um but i weirdly found myself being drawn into watching uh a lot more horror movies this season and i wasn't even intentional it just sort of like worked out that way so just drawing from movies that i had seen over the last little bit um I have two that I want to mention. Uh, the first is uh, Bubba Hotep, uh, oh. uh, which is a movie starring Bruce Campbell uh, and uh, I think it's Aussie Davis, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, uh, if you haven't seen Bubba Hotep, uh, it is a it's a comedy horror film where uh, a guy who either is Elvis or claims to be Elvis um, 
who in the year of our Lord 2002, so definitely not uh, um, when Elvis should have been dead, uh, claims that Elvis never died but switched places with one of his uh, impersonators to live a quiet life of seclusion, lives in an old folks' home uh, with... Uh, <laughs> and this... And I'm, I'm not... There's a very specific reason I'm about to say what I'm about to say. A black man who claims to be JFK, um, who also survived his own brush with death and had his uh, skin uh, uh, colored black so that in order to hide him and keep him safe. This is, on its face, a ridiculous uh, premise for a movie, except that uh, a mummy shows up at, a, at the retirement home and they have to fight the mummy. So... If you put all of those things together, that sounds like the silliest idea for a movie ever made. And yet what I really liked about it was that uh, Bruce Campbell, I mean, he has enough pathos to make you care about uh, this person's uh, plight, whether he is Elvis or not. And uh, it's actually a very sweet uh, movie that involves a lot of references to uh, uh, Peckers. Um, it is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Boba Hotep. It's a, it's a, it's it's a fun time, and actually that one I watched on your Plex as well. So thank you for that. Um, I was gonna the, say fully endorse it. Yeah. Uh, the other one. I, I mean, th- there's hard to have a, a a particularly interesting take uh on it. Is I watched the original Halloween for the first time. I had never oh. seen it. Uh, I watched it. It's turns out it's a good movie, and I understand why there have been 17,000 sequels and alternate timelines and remakes and remakes to the remakes or whatever the fuck. I have no interest in going into any of that because, I mean, I might at some point I might decide that I want to take it on as a project, but like, like uh, Dune, which we will probably, uh, which either we will talk about or have talked about, I don't know. Um, the first one is probably just good enough for me. I can just be like, yeah. yep one and done that was good let's just move on with our lives we don't need to get into the <laughs> into the minutiae of the sequels but yeah halloween turns out it's good who would have thought right all these yeah. years later 13 turns- or 14 sequels later who would have thought that this was a good movie yeah <laughs> uh, who knew but yeah i think that's probably going to do it for us tonight um yeah uh, cinnamonduel.com is our website where all of chris's hooptober reviews can be found um i do have uh I am. I do only have two uh, entries left to go uh, on the Agnes Varda series, so I'm hoping that uh, by the end of the year, uh, I'm giving myself two whole months to write two articles, which uh, I'm sure pales in comparisons to Chris's 30 articles in 30 days or whatever the hell that was. It should um, be 34 by the by the time October hits. But to be fair, I will probably not write another article for like six months after this. <laughs> yeah, you probably could use a bit of uh, downtime, a bit of a refractory <laughs> period. Um, no, that's totally fair. Um, but yeah, if you that's where you can find us writing about various uh, things as it seems uh, of interest to us. But uh, stay safe, everyone. Continue to take care of each other. Uh, go watch Dune or don't. I don't know. I'll tell you once I see it and then have opinions about it. Uh, you know what? Let's just leave it at this. Go watch something that you that you love. Just Just pick something. Who cares what other people think about it? Who cares what the what the critics think about it. If you like it, go and watch it. Just go have a nice time for a couple hours, whether it's in front of your TV or if you're safe and you're willing in front of a movie theater, just go watch a film. Have some fun. Yep. I agree. 100%. Um, yeah. We'll catch you next time.